Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast, and a little bit of an unusual one. Typically, the episodes come out just before the round starts, um, and I did plan to record the podcast on Thursday, but uh, beautiful and wonderful and magnificent thing happened, and uh, and uh, it meant that I could not dedicate my time to recording that particular podcast my uh my boyfriend came to pay an unexpected uh visit before uh before uh well before too long before I thought I would see him again and it was uh it was absolutely wonderful and magnificent and in life when it comes to those particular moments I find that it is important to spend time with your loved ones because you never know when the next time is that you'll get to see them again and so um that got pushed back to the next day and then the next day conversely uh couldn't couldn't find the time to do it um and I thought that was it by the time that I was in a position to do it when I was back home it was midway through the Friday night game between Collingwood and Brisbane and I thought stuff it I'll just go through another weekend without doing a podcast and I'll do another I'll do an episode next week however it's been such an incredible round of football so far I am going to jump in on this and just kind of have a couple of couple of talks couple of couple big topic things there's not really a format that I want to talk about or follow necessarily um with this episode typically you know, we'll talk about the round that's just gone, talk about the main talking points and then preview the round to come. Um, but because the previous round technically was a week ago and we're currently through this round 23, um, I just want to talk about a couple of main talking points, which has, which which I think have, have kind of crossed over both rounds 22 and round 23. And I know that there are games still to come in round 23 tomorrow but I think it's I think I just want to kind of get my mind because it's my mind kind of out and and recorded because it's kind of racing at the moment um to start off with because I always try to start off with something positive and I am going to leave my bias aside a two big Melbourne clubs had completely contrasting fortunes today and we'll talk about the positives first, and that is the Carlton Football Club, after one of the worst decades of results that any club has experienced from the fall from grace that were the expectations surrounding them heading into 2013. And let's be real, they were lucky that they got into the finals, but they won a final that year. And to then see how quickly things fell apart two years later, one a wooden spoon, a little bit of an upswing, and then another wooden spoon in 2018, the worst year that they had at the football club since 1901. The worst season that they had had since the first year that Australia was a nation of federated states. Like, that's crazy. Two wins, just two of them. Off the back of nine straight wins, the Carlton Football Club have stamped themselves as finalists for 2023. And unless 
they get absolutely hammered by the Giants and the Swans absolutely hammer Melbourne. The Blues will finish in fifth. And to be perfectly honest with you, the teams currently inside the top four are probably very lucky that there's only one more round to go and that the Blues don't have time to try to usurp one or two of the top four sides above them because they are currently playing better than any team in the competition. And it's been an incredible turnaround because to go back before the nine-game winning streak, they were sitting in 15th on the ladder, four wins, nine losses, and a draw. And they looked terrible. But maybe... And it's easy to say in hindsight, but maybe we were overreacting as a football public to the results. Because, yes, a couple of them were really bad. Think the game against Adelaide, where they lost by over 50 points. But they were playing the best teams in the competition, at least at the time. And they were playing two to two and a half good quarters of football. They just couldn't put it together. And in a couple of those games, had they kicked straight, the result may have been different. But nevertheless, they were in a spot of bother because they just couldn't get the wins together. And there was still four to six goals losses. And it was the same every single week. Four to six goals lost, four to six goals loss. I don't know what happened in the week between losing to Essendon on the King's birthday eve and then playing Gold Coast a week later. But something happened to this football club. And they have managed to turn around, turn it around in a way that's been really, really impressive. And they should be commended for that. Michael Voss should be commended for that. If he manages to pull this off and deliver Carlton their first premiership since 1995 off the back of this run, and even if he doesn't win the premiership, if, if they win it next year, this has been a great launching pad for them to potentially do so. If that happens, then he... This would be his greatest football achievement, I think. Far better than being captain of the Brisbane Lions. And that was a great personal achievement for him. But when you're, when you're, I, I feel like, and this is coming from someone who has not played football anywhere near a semi-professional or professional level. So take my opinion with a grain of salt. But I kind of feel like when you're, yes, captain, but still when you're a player, it's, more difficult to attribute the success of the team solely on you whereas you're the coach you're the one who's supposed to prepare the prepare your team prepare your assistant coaches prepare the systems prepare everything and to be able to turn that around in a week if this sets them up for their 17th premiership this year or next year it will be his greatest achievement in football Michael Voss and as much as I hate Carlton Honestly, with how he got screwed over at Brisbane, I think he got screwed over as a coach. He had a one bad season that torpedoed them a little bit. Honestly, fully deserved. If it happens. A lot of water to go under the bridge. But it's been absolutely incredible to turn around. As has the turnaround with the two New South Wales teams the Sydney Swans and the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Um, we'll discuss the Giants first. 126 points, an absolute hammering lead, the highest score kicked 
by any team in their history, the Giants. Just mind-boggling. Absolutely incredible. Now, I'm, I do want to kind of potentially discuss more of the round uh, as we approach round 24. So I'll try not to talk a lot about the Giants and the Swans because I want to talk about it then. But Jesse Hogan is a player that I want to mention in particular. Nine goals is an incredible effort for anyone to kick, especially someone who I thought he was past his heyday. I thought that he peaked very early in his career. And 2016 onwards, it kind of tapered off a little bit. His, his, his you know, tenure at the Dockers didn't really go anywhere. So to turn that around and to put up nine goals is an incredible effort. And he should be he should be commended for that. And it was a great performance. At least I think it was nine goals. That game was a bit of a blur. I'll be completely honest with you. And the Sydney Swans. Again, I don't want to talk much about them because I want to talk about it a little bit later in the week once I actually have a full kind of episode kind of planned out. But to be in, again, I think they were 15th not too long ago and six straight wins. Incredible. Yes, they were lucky. North, Essendon, Adelaide, all games that they probably should have lost. But honestly, football sometimes is about luck. And when you have luck on your side, you just got to make it take advantage of that. And that's what the Swans are doing. But there are a couple of things I want to talk about, kind of big, big kind of picture thing. We talked about Carlton. That's one of them. The Essendon Football Club is the other big Melbourne club that had the contrasting result. Carlton with the with the narrow win and Essendon with the big hemorrhaging loss. And I am kind of in a weird state mentally about it because I should be angry. I should be furious. The last time we lost by 100-plus points in 2019, when we conceded 21 in a row against the Dogs, I had the displeasure of being at that game, and I was furious. This feels worse because the margin is worse, and you know the Giants get the highest score in club history, and the expectations heading into the game. But for some reason, I'm I'm not quite as angry, maybe because I wasn't expecting a win this time around. 2019 against the Dogs, I actually thought we were going to win. We headed into that game inside the eight. The Dogs were just outside the eight. This time we had been, we've been in free fall since the bye. And this was the crash landing. This was the landing smacked into the side of a mountain. But the thing that I just, the thing that really, really annoys me is that now the club has to deal with its fan base. And as someone who is a member of the Essendon Football Club and a proud member of the Essendon Football Club, I have Essendon stickers on my laptop. I wear the scarf, whether it's game day or not. I'll wear the beanie if it's cold outside. uh, It is a football club that I love. I mean, any supporter that goes through the drug saga and sticks it out with the club and still a supporter at the end of it, I would consider to be a pretty, a pretty strong supporter in their in their in their love for their club. And that's what I am. I am I am steadfast in my love for this football club, no matter what happens. But there is a point where the Essendon fan base becomes extremely toxic. And I think it is a byproduct of 
bygone success that is so far in the past that all of a sudden you have this generation of Essendon supporters. And it's weird because there's a weird generation gap where you have young supporters like me. They've never won a premiership in my lifetime versus supporters who are older than me, but not by much, who can't really remember the success, but it is kind of in their lifetime. So they can kind of hold on to that versus supporters who are older, who saw 2000, who saw 93, who saw 85, 84, even older, maybe saw 65 as well. And it creates this expectation of success. And perhaps the word expectation is the problem here. Because after beating Carlton, going into the bye, we were 8-5. and five. Sure, Ruckman was a little injured. Sure, we had some difficult games coming up. But things were looking promising. And since then, we've had just three wins. But were we ever, ever really in a position to be 8-5? and five? unless we overperformed. One of the youngest teams in the competition, coming off of a disappointing false dawn under truck, brand new coach, of course, is going to get the new coaching bounce, which we got. I genuinely think that the disappointment that Essendon supporters are feeling at the moment is partially due to their own expectations, our own expectations of how we were supposed to perform. And the problem then becomes, once you put in a disappointing performance like this, and believe me, no excuse at all is possible for a performance like this, nor should it be possible. Anyone making an excuse for this is a joke of a supporter, and quite frankly, I don't know how you can possibly make this, but there's no excuse for today's performance. But the back half of the year has shown exactly what we all knew us to be, which was a young team, inexperienced. And let's be honest, the list isn't that great. With a new coach, first year was always going to be about feeling it out before really starting to hit the track, hopefully next year. 2024 is when we can actually, I think, start judging Brad Scott on his coaching tenure at Essendon. And yet... Because of the expectations that were raised after the 8-5 and five start and the fact that it's been so long since we've had success and Carlton were doing terribly, Richmond were doing terribly, we were, and Hawthorne were doing terribly, our big rivals except for Collingwood, they were all doing terribly. And we felt great and we bought into it. And now the season has fallen out from under us and there are some of us who are calling for Brad Scott to be sacked. And even as a joke, the people who are saying things like, oh, get Dimmer, get Dimmer. Are you sure that Dimmer's gone to Gold Coast? Are you sure that Dimmer's gone to Gold Coast? We cannot, and I mean cannot, keep changing coaches every two years. We cannot do it. We need to be realistic about where this list is at. And where this club is at. And as a supporter base, we need to stop putting unnecessary pressure on the club. Now, granted, if next year produces more performances like today, then the anger would be understandable. But to any Essendon supporter who currently wants Brad Scott's head on a on a on a on a on a spike 
just take a chill pill. Understand that this is a journey of a whoever, who knows how many steps it's going to take, but it's a long journey. I'm always reminded of the Paul Ruse quote, uh, well, not exact quote, but roughly in paraphrasing when he, when Melbourne lost to, lost to Essendon in 2016, when the year that we had our Frankenstein squad and nobody expected us to do well. And Melbourne lost to us. And Paul Ruse said that he kind of just expected the club to, you know, he, he thought that the players thought that they would rock up and win that game. And I do kind of wonder if the players kind of bought into how great the supporters were saying that they were maybe this is a really good lesson for the players to learn which is that you cannot under any circumstances have that mindset because you are going to get exposed badly tripped up against the eagles nearly nearly tripped up against north melbourne and then we actually fell off a cliff today supporters have a right to feel disappointed I am disappointed. I am embarrassed. I am stunned. I am shocked. I am appalled. Any synonym you want to use for that, I am all of that. But we cannot, cannot, cannot suffocate these boys with the weight of expectations that they are just not ready to carry yet. And you might say, well, what about Collingwood? Huh? Collingwood were coming off of a great era for them where they nearly won the premiership twice. 2021 was obviously you know, a, a one out of a, 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 an odd season for them, right? A blip on the radar. They've always been a great team. Well, since 2018, they've been a consistently great squad, which means that their older players are at the upper echelon of the competition and Essendon's are not. That is why Collingwood are top of the ladder, faltering a little bit, still top of the ladder, and Essendon won't play finals this year. That's the reality of it. And another thing I want to talk about is the goal review system has twice come under massive scrutiny the last two weeks. Now, I am a Sydney supporter. I'm going to try to put that bias away. Genuinely, when I first looked at the replay, it looked to me, the shot from Keys looked like it hit the top of the padding. Just, it looked like it hit the top of the padding. That's what the umpire called. The umpire called it to be a behind. Now, the position that the umpire was in, I think he was in the best position to make that call. However, watching the replay of that, I'm not so sure it hit the post. It's a little bit of a 50-50. And the fact that they can't use the arc review, uh, to, you know, the, the, the spike on edge, because a Swans player also touched the post at the same time. That, to me, is gobsmacking. I don't know what the solution to this is, but you cannot have a system where the ball and a player could potentially have touched the post at the same time, and thus you can't actually tell whether or not the ball, the sound made is the ball or the player touching the post. You cannot possibly have that. And to have this happen in such a crucial stage of the season that completely kills off a team's year is, I think, inexcusable from the AFL. And they should feel deeply embarrassed. 
Andrew Dillon's got a lot to work out with this because at the same time that that has happened, a week earlier, Christian Petrarca's shot on goal was deemed to have been touched and with the worst camera quality that I have seen since I watched a music video from the early 1990s that looked like it was shot on spaghetti. Seriously, how can it be 30 years later and we still have the same camera quality in our main professional sport? This is a million-dollar industry, and we can't get better camera quality than that. It is deemed to have been touched. Uh, sorry, deemed to have been uh, yeah, deemed to have been touched. It was a behind. Carlton go on to win. Now you can make the argument in both cases that. Melbourne and Adelaide should not have been behind by as much as they were if they wanted to win. But that to me seems like a false statement because you have these games where clubs make great comebacks and Adelaide was a great one. Melbourne, slightly less impressive, but still you have these games that are decided by these moments and it will decide seasons. Melbourne will probably miss out on a top two spot because of it. Adelaide's season is done because of it. How on earth can you have a competition, a top-tier competition like this, and have a score review system like that? As for the incident specifically with the Adelaide game, do you now have the situation where every single behind has to be reviewed as well as every single goal? Because I get the feeling that that's where we're going, and I would not be surprised if the AFL goes with that next season. I don't know if that's the right decision or not, in that situation, I would like to go with the goal umpire's call. But geez Louise, there's got to be a better, there has to be a better review. There's got to be a better review system. And by going with the goal umpire's call, I mean when there is an actual no definitive uh, uh, reason for the goal umpire to doubt him or herself and the field umpire agrees. If that's the decision, that's the decision. You know, if this was 10 years ago, this probably wouldn't even raise a mention. But it just feels like the AFL's been stuffing up recently with their score review system. Anyway, thought I would just record a podcast episode quickly just to get my thoughts out. Games tomorrow on Sunday in round 23 should be fairly straightforward. Melbourne versus Hawthorne could be interesting because of you know, Hawthorne's giant killer reputation uh, this season, which is very well earned. The Dockers in Perth are also dangerous. So if I was Port Adelaide, I would uh, I would just be very, very cautious of uh, of, of playing Fremantle over there. Um, but it should be a fascinating Sunday and a great round 24 as well. Uh, thank you for joining me for this um, impromptu episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. I'm going to Try to either go back to sleep or listen to the new Hosier album. Uh, if you haven't heard the album, it is absolutely incredible, and I 1,000% recommend it. Um, not sponsored by Hosier, but if you are listening to this for some reason, Andrew, please, I would love to collaborate with you on something. I have no idea what we collaborate on because I have no idea if you know anything about Aussie rules football. And I can't sing or play music to save my life, but I'm sure we'll figure out something. Uh Everyone else listening to this, thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, stay happy, stay beautiful, stay sexy.